You are now tuned in to the Believe Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is Superlative, a podcast about watches, the people behind them, and the worlds that inspire them. Spending time with the Blog to Watch community and the stories we discover. Let's get started. Hey everyone, this is Ariel Adams with the Superlative Podcast. Today my guest is Laurent Lechamp. He is the head of the Watches Division and Mont Blanc. Laurent, welcome. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Laurent, it's Laurent Lecamp. It's a French name. Oh, but, I'm so sorry. Yeah, no, it's okay. It's I, um, nice. It's nice. It's, it, it, it looks, it's very nice, but many people say Le, Le, Le Champ, so it's, but it's Lecamp. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I mean, I think it's actually funny because you know, our industry is inherently international. And what that means is we're constantly running into people whose names and language is different yeah, yeah, than yeah. what we grew up in. This has been, it's like a multicultural education to be in the watch industry as much as it is about watches. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I agree. I agree. You're right. Yes. I mean, I have years and years of people mispronouncing my name. Sometimes they just, call, so many <coughs> people just call me Adam. I don't know, like la- my last name is Adams, but I would say that like, 50% of the emails they get from people that are not American just refer to me as Adam. I don't know where they got this idea. <laughs> but that's good. But it's like it's, half uh, the people. Yeah, yeah, but it's okay. For me, it's the same. So don't, don't worry for this. I just want to be sure it's the right pronunciation, but people say Le Camp, Le Champ. So even my, my, my colleague sometimes says Le Champ. So don't worry. It's, uh, it was a private joke. Yeah. It's so great that you brought it up because one of the things that I found difficult in the watch industry in having meetings is there's sort of a, a politeness, especially that comes from sort of the, uh, the Swiss French culture where you can't always say what you think in a meeting. So there's so few people who would actually, you know, make the correction, even though it's the right thing to do to make the correction, you just do it so people know. There's sometimes it's difficult to really communicate with people because of these um, desires for politeness. So agree, disagree? Yeah, agree, agree. <laughs> it's we we could discuss we could discuss it as so one or at least. But yeah, no, I agree with you. I agree with you. But politeness is the key. Huh? One uh, when I was in in Japan in the past, I was working in Japan. I will always remember. So one of the Japanese uh, partner told me, if you want to be successful in life, be polite. It's very interesting. It's one of the largest uh, retailer in Japan. So politeness is key in our industry. And. In Japan, that means something very special because there's rules of politeness. And you, you know, you've traveled a lot. I know you've sort of run different markets. Have you ever got to some point where you you, you forget what the rules are because they can change so much from place to place? Sorry, what, once again, I didn't hear so well. So, oh, sorry. So when 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 you're traveling and when you're you're doing business in different parts of the world, Asia, Middle East, Europe, North America. Mm-hmm. These rules of politeness are very, very different. You know, sometimes polite is leave the customer alone. Sometimes polite is go up to them and talk to them and make them feel like they have company. Mm-hmm. You yeah. have to learn so many different rules. Do you sometimes forget and be like, what country am I in? What's the right way to talk to the customers? Like, it's so much to remember, right? I, it's it's a very interesting point uh, you're mentioning now. Um to be honest with you, I observe something. Of course, you're right. You cannot. Um, the politeness is not the same in Japan, in Russia, or in Europe. It's completely different. Um, but I just give you an example, if you if you allow me. When uh, the first time you meet uh, a Russian customer, he will never smile to you. Okay. Then if a uh, if a Russian customer is entering a boutique in Geneva, for example, always the salespeople will be afraid and say, "Oh, why is not smiling?" And the salespeople will smile because it's politeness. But in Russia, you are not smiling. Uh, because uh, of the politeness, you are smiling because it's a sign of friendship. 
So it yeah. means that that's, for example, that's why it's interesting to know different cultures. But the second time the same customer will enter the boutique in Geneva, for sure will be smiling because he knows you. So you cannot imagine how many people who are losing sales, for example, or uh, had a very bad experience with Russian customers because they had no idea about uh, the meaning of the smile in Russia. So it's not politeness, yeah. it's friendship. So that's an interesting point. That's very I interesting was told point. that when I was traveling in Russia a few times because I'm, I'm an American and I smile on the street and they don't smile on the street. People are going to think <laughs> bad things about you. Like there's something wrong with your head. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. But, but there, is, there is something else I, I, I could explain. Um, very interesting point. So th thank you for, for, for mentioning this. Uh, when I was in Japan, when I was in charge of Japan for, for the previous company I was working in, I remember that at the beginning, uh, of course, uh, it wasn't easy to understand the Japanese culture, but after five or six years uh, in the country, it was much, much better. But at the beginning, it was quite difficult. So I decided just to copy, copy-paste. I observed what people were doing, and I did exactly the same. And at the end, it was perfectly working, and people told me, how, how do you know so well the Japanese mentality? So at the end, it's just a question of observing and doing the same. For example, you are in a restaurant with a Japanese customer. I always order the same as the Japanese uh, customer, always. In that case, I don't make any mistake. I will eat <laughs> at the same pace. Uh, you know, I observe first, he starts eating, I observe how he's eating. So if you observe the world, then everything will be easy. So it's. I think there is no rule. The only one, perhaps, it's not a rule, it's a recommendation, just observing and doing the same at the beginning when you have no idea about the culture. Okay, but let's admit, in Japan, sometimes it's hard. I have a game that I play when I'm in Japan. It's, it's called, what does that business do? And this is literally what I do. I'll walk by a business and I'll look at the outside and the signs and the graphics and I'll ask myself, what does this business do? And most of the time I have no idea because as you know, there's no visuals that lead you to, believe, to, lead you to understand much of the time what it does. So in Japan... You have to be, you know, you have to be very smart to learn through observation because it's, you, you need to have the right context or sometimes I found it's impossible. Yes, yes, you're right. In that case, I can share with you a, um, another experience in, in Japan based on what you are explaining now. Um, I remember one time I was entering to the store and I had some, uh, uh, okay, may I mention the brand? It was, <laughs> it was uh, um, Onitsuka Tiger, Tiger uh, shoes, sneakers. Okay. And uh, I had the Tiger shoes, I was wearing the, them and I was entering to the Tiger uh, store. It was in, um, uh, close to Omote Sando in, uh, in, uh, in Tokyo. And all people, all salespeople start walking and just uh, say hello and welcome to me. Five or six of them at the same time. And they just congratulate me because I was wearing the tiger shoes, but it oh. cost about 70 or 80 US dollars, very simple ones. And they're all stopping and doing everything and just congratulating me. So that's, that's a way of, of, of politeness and of respect. In Japan, for example, the politeness is really connected to the respect of the customer. So it's, uh, it's very interesting. Now, imagine if the same could happen also in a, in a watch boutique, huh? Could be nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Could be nice. But, I mean, in Japan, luxury is, um, you, the price is not key. Uh, because we say, for example, in Europe, that luxury, it means uh, very uh, high-end quality uh, of service. But in Japan, I was very surprised because even if you just buy a croissant in a boulangerie, for example, you'll yeah. be treated the same way as, as if you were buying um, any object for 1,000 or 5,000 euros. The respect is the same. It's true. 
And, and yeah. then there's the packaging in Japan. I love the ceremony when they package something oh, for you. Oh, oh, oh. It's amazing. Ah, uh, you know, extremely well. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. But by the way, there, there are too many plastic bags in Japan. I think this is the, the first or the second largest uh, country in terms of use of plastic. So it's, it's a it's big a bit, issue. It's a bit that. wasteful, to be honest. Some of it's a bit wasteful. But you feel amazing. Okay, so let me, let me ask you on this big topic, which is related. How important is this experience to the sale of watches? Because I know there's a lot of traditionalists in the watch industry that are just, they, they hold on to the retail concept because you can control this entire experience from the time you walk into the door until the time that you, you walk out. And, you know, in this sort of digital context, all of that romance is gone. And, you know, there's a lot of great watches out there at some of the same price points. How big of a difference, in your opinion, does this sort of sales experience make um, in, in success versus challenge? Hmm. I think, first of all, what is important is the philosophy you have. And if you allow me, I would like to share with you my own philosophy. Sure. Uh, the one I'm using for, for the business, the one I was using uh, when I developed my own watch company in the past, the one I, I want to develop here. It, it, if you give me one or two minutes, I can explain to you shortly. Yeah, you're talking about yeah. Cirrus, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, because it's something that inspired me, and I try to share this with my team uh, to help develop the next um, sales experiences. I would say, uh, on one of our many trips to Japan, because now we are mentioning Japan, I once made a private visit to the Rienji Buddhist Temple. It's located no northwest of of uh, Kyoto. Okay. And this temple is world famous, mainly thanks to its incredible Zen Work Garden, which is a UNESCO heritage site since I think 1994. Now you have to imagine, the garden is actually, uh, inside, is actually a 248 square meter rectangular plot. Hmm. And I was mesmerized the first time I saw it, the very first time I saw it, and it still inspired the same feeling in me today. Because the garden is comprised of white gravel, typical yeah. in Japan, representing the ocean, and you have 15 stones symbolizing the mountains. The stones are carefully arranged into five groups of, I think it was five, two, three, two, and three stones respectively. When looking at the garden from any angle, and I insist on that point, on, from any angle, only 14 of the stones are visible at once. And one of them is always hidden from view. So personally, visiting that garden enable me to put a name to my own view of the world, whether it, is, uh, whether it be the, the, the private sphere or, or the business world, I would say, or the watchmaking world. <laughs> I'll explain to you why. And I believe very firmly that we should never be content with what we think we know, but we must constantly seek the new perspectives. And if we observe the 14 stones from a particular place, and if by moving along the terrace surrounding that garden, we will then discover the missing 15 stone. And it means that we have lost sight of another. In other words, and that's the key, our perception of the world around us can never be complete, but only partial. We see only the fragments, but never, never the world panorama. And for me, to me, this is that inability to see everything at once that will open up uh, open us up to, 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 to possibilities that will make, up, uh, make us capable of uh, imagining new ideas, designing new solutions, finding new interpretations, or building, I would say, on what already exists. This is, a, this is great. This is, like a, this is like a graduation speech. I love this. Uh, absolutely, it is. It is. And this re-energy re philosophy applies perfectly to the uh, watchmaking world and its uh, changing nature. 
And uh, I just would like to stress that we have to keep looking for that missing 15 stone, even if we think we have already found it. And this is that philosophy to me that teaches us the art of enduring, which is to me the state of the art innovation. And it's exactly how we think in the watchmaking industry. It means even if we think we have reached something that is wow, it's only 14 stones. Where is the missing one, the 15th one? And that's exactly how I was thinking since many years and how I've been thinking since many years and how I think today and something I share with my team. I always share, okay, now we have the 14 stones and everybody's happy with this, but where is the missing 15th one? So, and then we are looking for that one, but once we found it, it means that uh, we have lost sight of another. So we always have to learn, 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 and learn. And always move and always have the awareness that you're missing something. Exactly. But th that's why I don't believe in perfection. I think we should always look for the perfection, but we have to keep in mind that we'll not reach it. But the fact to fight for finding this 15 stone is something very unique. And by the way, I will tell you something. That garden, I was so impressed and I put it, this story, I put it in a book <laughs> because I wanted to share this with my students uh, in different universities and business schools because to me, uh, this is really how life is and how life should be. It means perfection does not exist and we always have to improve. And if you know about it, if you have the, the conscience about it, it means that uh, you will be successful for sure, hundred percent. You know, I can see I like a little Zen garden in the middle of a lot of the Mont Blanc boutiques. We could do that, right? You could have a little <laughs> replica of the stones. So we could do it, but only in some key places, huh? like Omotesando or like- Yeah, it has to be a destination. Like Ginza, well, the Ginza boutique, why not? So you have the Ginza boutique in, in Tokyo, why not? Yes. People, I mean, it's funny because I visited some of the, the temples in Japan as well and seen the gardens. And, you know, some of them are like little replicas of Japan or various territories. Like, the culture behind the garden and what it means is so different than, say, the Europeans with the garden or the Americans with the garden. Like the Japanese garden is a very special lifestyle, artistic, you know, heritage symbol. It's a hobby. I mean, it, I think it's amazing that, that, that watches do so well in Japan because so many of the reasons why people value watches exist in a lot of parts of Japanese culture. I just sometimes I wonder, is like, how do we make more countries like Japan so that more countries can love the, the craft, which is watchmaking. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Japan is very, very specific country, but uh, it's not the only one. We have mentioned Russia <laughs> previously. Um, I, I will tell you something. It's uh, By the way, it's a sign of politeness because when I decided to start working with Russia a few years ago, um, <laughs> I remember the first time I was in Russia and I didn't understand anything because I didn't speak English to me and uh, or very little. And then it was only, only in Russian. Right. And it was 10 years ago. And then I decided to start learning Russian oh, because wow. of this. Not easy. And a few years later, uh, I was back in Russia and uh, speaking r Russian to, with the same customer. And it has changed everything. In like what way? Like yeah, I have to understand. So what does it mean? It means that at the end, it's uh, to go back to the theme of the politeness. The politeness, sometimes it's uh, trying to speak the same language uh, as your uh, partner or uh, as your... Uh, so 
with the end customer and so on. It changes everything. The fact, even if you have a, because when I speak English, you immediately recognize I'm, I'm Swiss and French, so recognize it very easily and I apologize for this, but I cannot modify <laughs> this. It's impossible, okay? So the point is that in Russia, it's the same, but I appreciate it because you just make efforts. And I think it's exactly like the 15 stones. When I started learning Russian 10 years ago, I did it alone with books during one or two years. Every evening I was walking 15 to 25 minutes, every evening. After one year and a half or two years, I could not anymore. And I decided to go to uh, Ukraine first and then to Russia the year after at the university. And I was using my free time, holiday time, and my own holiday. I was using all these weeks uh, to be, uh, to be in, uh, in Russia and Ukraine at school, at university to learn the language. But today it makes all the difference. But I just wanted to do it to be more polite uh, with people. And I, I cannot be in Russia and say to people, oh, I would like to sell something without knowing anything about the culture, for example. For no, me, it's, I mean, it's a, not, a lot uh, of people don't get that when you do international business, learning a new language is really investing in yourself as a, as a business person because a lot of cultures you, you simply can't get by. And the watchmaking region, you know, I did not grow up with French. I know a little bit here and there, but I don't consider myself mm-hmm. one who can speak French. There's things I cannot do. There's relationships I can never have simply because I don't speak the language. Even if those people speak English, there's a, there's a barrier I'll never get past because I lack Absolutely. a certain vocabulary. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, uh, yes, but you know, if you go to China, for example, we're more difficult because in China you have uh, a few hundred, uh, a few hundred different languages. Yeah. And, uh, but if you go to Russia, you're only one language. That's interesting. You have uh, 11 or 12 time zones, but you have one language and uh, everybody can understand you in the country. But if you go to, to China, it's, it's uh, being in Shanghai or Beijing, it's, uh, it's uh, already something different. You know what yeah. I mean? So it's, um, it's, uh, you have some countries when you speak the language, uh, at the end you can, uh, it's, you can develop what, even friendships. I have a few friends now in Russia and the friendship uh, in Russia, my, my, the friendship in Russia is really strong. And, um, yeah, it has been developed thanks to the language. I think they say in, in, um, in, in Russian, they say, uh, it means the, the, um, the, if you, if you speak a language, it will open all the doors to you. Okay. And, uh, I, I think so. Uh, my, 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 uh, my father, your, your French Russian accent. I like it. So, yeah, uh, thank you. <laughs> you are the only one. <laughs> so my, my, my grandfather, one of my grandfather, when he passed by, so before passing by, he told me, like my, my father said the same, by the way, he said, Laurent, in your life, you can lose everything. You can lose the money, you can lose your house, you can lose your, 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 your wife, you can get divorced, you, everything. The only thing you will keep will be the experience. Yeah, And that's why I think that uh, learning a uh, new language, for example, is a good experience. And, you know, once again, I didn't start, uh, I, I wouldn't say uh, I'm very gifted for languages, but I'm a hard worker. So it means uh, 10 years later, after saying, okay, I will start learning Russian, I, I, sp- I speak friendly Russian, but ten, 10 years were needed. Perhaps some people, we, some people were doing two, three, four, five years, but I needed more time, but I wanted to be uh, accurate. Russian is spoken at my home because my wife is Ukrainian, so my boy speaks Russian. Excellent. So I, live, I live right next to Russian every day. So I know a little bit about what you're talking about. And it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's you're right. 
they use the same word for so many things. It's the context, which is important. If you literally just exactly. learn the words, you cannot communicate. You have to live the experience. You have to see the relationship between words and ideas. That's why it's such a, a, a homogenized culture, because if you don't live the same way as them, the words themselves don't mean too much. Absolutely, you can be right. Another example in China, one of my friends speaks Chinese and he explained to me that we were together in Switzerland and we just observed the, the color of a lake. And I said, wow, it's a beautiful blue and green. And he said, do you, he, said he told me, Laurent, do you know that in Chinese we have one word for blue and green, but we don't have in French. In French, I have to translate blue and green, but he had one word for the mix of blue and green in Chinese. So sometimes you have some, some, in some cultures, some languages, you have, um, uh, they go deeper, uh, into some things. And that's, that's interesting. And the same for the Russian language. So in terms of love, for example, you have different levels, uh, for, for the words we will use. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, that's interesting. It, it's, it's very interesting. So, but, and I see it's, it's connected to the business because oh, yeah. at the end, when you understand how rich the culture is, uh, it will help you to, to find the right words, um, the right explanations when, when you want to sell a timepiece, for example. So, yeah, so let's talk more about that because, I mean, the, the question sort of started and evolved, and thank you for taking this in this great direction, about how the experience in the store matters. And that basically talked about how you need to be culturally relevant and you have to understand who you're selling to, which, which totally makes a lot of sense, which I wish there was more of that. But now let's sort of bring it back to the idea of, watches in 2021. And, and, you know, tell me about your feelings about this. Cause when, when I think you first start getting, in wa getting into watches, when I first started getting into watches around 2007, from a business perspective, I was a collector beforehand, the world was mm -hmm. talking about watches are a thing of the past. People are not going to wear these anymore. Yet the mm -hmm. timepiece has been remarkably durable and the resiliency it's had to all these, you know, uh, threats of death all the time, you know, have, have not really passed. It's, it remains so emotionally, uh, relevant, what is it that you think um, is attributable to some of these reasons that all these different cultures at the same time have this value in this kind of, you know, funny little wearable technology that we all love so much? I regret you are not with me now because uh, at the same time I speak to you, I, I just sit in front of mountains. And uh, these mountains, for example, uh, just in front of me, they have a V-shape. Okay. And uh, this V-shape is interesting because um, the movement we are producing at, at Villeray, ex Minerva, uh, all these movements with the chronograph uh, inside, they have a V-shape bridge, as you know. And uh, there is a story here explaining that this V-shape bridge has been inspired by the mountains I see in front of me now. Are we talking about a little devil tail or a different bridge? Because I know there's a little, what I call the devil tail. Yeah, exactly, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. But the, point, the, the, point, the point is um, that just this example, it means that uh, the watchmaking has been inspired by the nature. Of course, with the V-shaped bridge we have here at, at, Min, at Villeray, uh, people say it's because of the chronograph of the, uh, on the other side of the dial. You have the V-shaped bridge uh, for the two uh, chronograph functions, the central second chrono uh, in the center and at three o'clock with the 30-minute counter. But between you and me, uh, observing these mountains now in front of me, speaking to you and having the movements close to me here on my right, um, I see that there is something emotional. And I just think that here, since 1858, you had hundreds of watchmakers sitting every day in front of these two, so of these V-shaped mountains. 
And uh, I believe that that's why in 1912 it has been uh, protected, the design, because of the mountains we have in front of us. It was the inspiration. And um, at the end, to give an answer to your question, it's the, the fact we are working with human beings, with the passion behind. And I believe that the passion is in the product itself. Um, to me, the mechanical watch, uh, it sounds something logical. Of course, uh, I have my, uh, my mobile uh, every day to, to check the time and everything. But I never wake up in the morning without putting a watch on my wrist, a mechanical one. Yeah. And um, here, since I've been working uh, uh, as the head of watches, so managing director for, for Mont Blanc watches, I can tell you something. I'm so proud of it. And um, thankful every day for this great opportunity because here, I see people of passion. i just give you an example. Um, you say technologies, but technology, who, who is producing technologies today? I should not say who, but what? What is producing technologies? Machines, mostly. But this is the difference between who and what. And um, for me, I always, on my side, I always focus on the human beings. I know the perfection will never be achieved with human beings. But this is precisely that non-perfection that will create the perfection, if you understand what I mean. Mm -hmm. um, a few years ago, I just read a book about, uh, it was from Georges Jeunot. It's, uh, it's a French writer. And uh, it just described a world... Uh, Okay, perhaps not the best example, but he just described a world with, with perfect women. He described <laughs> the perfect women. And two, two, two boys were there and enjoyed a few months. Some say, wow, they're beautiful, everything. Exactly the, the perf perfect for everything. After a few months' time, they say, we get bored. So, I mean, uh, at the end, they understood that the perfection is not what they were looking for. It is what they think they are looking for, but... They explain that this is the small imperfection they find by some women that make it perfect. And um, that's why if you compare the technology very precise uh, and human beings will uh, only, human beings only will not be capable mostly to reach the same level of precision than machine, of course. But when I see the watchmakers, the experience, the tradition, um, the fact they assemble each component, they work on each component. When I see that we're producing here internally our own spiral, when I see that we have one lady, Sandra Paoli, working for more than 21 years here by Villeray, and she's working on the ratchet of the movement to create a diamantage cookie, diamond shell finishing that does not exist anymore in the watchmaking industry. So I'm touched. And for me, this is the emotional point. And this is this emotion that I find in mechanical watch. So, okay, so here's, here's a way of distilling that down, right? Uh, the passion, mm. and this is why it translates to so many cultures at the same time, is human beings hand-making items for humans to wear. This formula feels really good to us. And there's very few things out there that people can incorporate into their modern lives that are things that are made by humans, you know, oftentimes by hand or very much by hand for other humans to, 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 to enjoy and to wear. And in our culture, there's just, like I said, there's not a lot of things that we can wear on our body and keep with us. It would be impractical to have a phone like that or clothing like that all the time. But a wash is this thing that we can wear that does connect us to the human side of our, you know, current state of industry, which is very inhuman, as you said. Yes. Um, 
And the point is, uh, when we mention the watches, we have the mechanical watches and we have the smart watches. So I have smart watches as well, huh, to be honest with you. I know. And I, know. Uh, I have a one, by the way, while uh, running during the weekend. Uh, so and, and I like it. It gives me uh, the pace, the speed, the uh, altitude and everything. And I, I like it. But for me, during the week, I have to say that mechanical watch, um, I see. But, you know, on, on my point of view, it's... Uh, it's different because I am managing now this company here in Villay and I'm so proud of it and I see the passion behind. So every morning when I put it on my wrist, um, yeah, it's I, I see the, the passion and I see the names of the watchmakers. I know the name of the watchmaker who has developed the watch and ring now, for example. Um, and uh, this is something you cannot offer to me. You you know what I mean? Whatever the amount of money you will invest, you cannot create it. Uh, it's something you have to live. It's an experience. It's exactly what my grandfather told me. This is something nobody can take. And whatever can, whatever uh, can happen in, in my life, I know that this experience, this feeling will be very unique. And as a, huma as, as a human being, I need this feeling to feel that I am a human being. Uh, and I think that world without emotion um, it's not a wall for me. You'll always have, we'll always have emotion. I think, I think you're safe there, but I understand what you're saying. It's quite boring and not very fun. It's, it's very boring. It's very, very boring. And, uh, yeah. So you should, you know, this morning before our call, uh, I, I was working at the table, observing the, the mountains in front of me. Um, I, I recently read a very interesting uh, study from the uh, Harvard University. Okay. Uh, they explained that uh, if you are walking and uh, you make a break for 45 seconds, just observing the nature, 45 seconds. But I mean, real nature, not just one tree, but one forest, for example. And you observe for more than 45 seconds, then your productivity uh, your innovation will increase by 15% at least. I, I'm so glad yeah. there's people asking and answering the big questions out there. <laughs> you, <laughs> no, no, but you, you know what I mean? So it's uh, by 15% at least. Oh, and and uh, I tell you, it's uh, that's why uh, before the interview, I just turned my, uh, my chair and I wanted to sit in front of the mountains while giving the answers to you. I'm sure that's, uh, my answers are inspired now by the nature. So I'm quite sure perhaps now you think I'm crazy guy, but I'm not. But I really believe that the nature has an influence of what we're doing. As I explained to you, the nature has influenced uh, the V-shaped bridge probably. I, in our I mean, the movement. whole Mont Blanc brand logo is a mountain. I mean, you're at the right brand to have this Absolutely. philosophy. Absolutely. Yeah, this is, the, this is the Mont Blanc. This is the mountain. The most, probably the most famous uh, mountain in the world. Everybody knows the Mont Blanc. So almost everybody in the world knows about the Mont Blanc. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's 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 unique and it's emotional. When we, you mention Mont Blanc to people, it's it's a strong emotion. You see the uh, challenge, uh, the snow, the the purity. You see the the pure air. Uh, yes, it's it's, uh, a, it's a beautiful white capped view. It's amazing, and it's look. It's the type of thing where if you travel. To certain parts of the world, like in Geneva, you see it all the time. You know, I never saw it until I went there. But let's let's talk about Mont Blanc a little bit as a brand because it's actually one of my favorite brands in the watch industry for a lot of reasons. I think there's a lot of cool elements of the brand personality. But one of the things that people don't tend to talk about so much when they talk about Mont Blanc is the sheer range of of, of products that have been made ever since Mont Blanc started making watches. When I say range. In some ways, it's price point, but it's also types of watch. You mentioned 
um, the smartwatches. The company has produced everything for the most mainstream watches, like a smartwatch or like, you know, luxury quartz watches, all the way into like one of a kind, very elaborate, tourbillon, complicated things, the metamorphosis, all kinds of crazy stuff. And everything in between at every single price point, it is such an incredible accomplishment, so rare at a European company, more common at Japanese companies, of course, to do this big range. What was that like for you? Because, you know, when you started, when you entered that, because it makes it so different than most other watch brands that, as you know, have had a much smaller range of the type of products they've made, even if they've made products for a long time. It's it's an excellent point. Um, what you see is interesting because some people are asking me, but how can you manage a company with entry price, uh, medium range and very high end? Um, so that is what is behind your question. I, I think so. Um but you're, you're, what you're explaining, it sounds uh, logical to me. It means that I, I, I will start with an example. When I was 15 years old, um, I received from my father the first watch. Uh, it was for an exam. I succeeded and I received from my father the first watch. It was not an expensive one. Um, and I think at that time, my family could not afford it. But that watch, simple one, I still have this watch today. So I will not mention what it is because it's something very secret and I don't want to, make, uh, <laughs> to mention any, any name, uh, but it's a very simple one, but I will tell you something. It's so emotional for me. And, uh, then when I got 20, 25, 30, and when my father said, okay, now, um, if I had to, to, to offer you another watch, what would it be? And I told him, I would like to have the same, uh, brand as the one you offered me when I was 15. He said, yes, but it's, it's, it was only for the entry price. And now we cannot, you cannot go to the next stage. <laughs> I say yes, and I, re, I, I say yes, and I regret it. And for me, that's why I really believe that when you start uh, buying a Montblanc timepiece below two thousand US dollars, uh, very beautiful one, uh, as something here in the lock, and uh, sometimes we have the watchmakers from the high hand from Villeray assembling and working on the finishing of these enterprise uh, timepieces. That's interesting because nobody knows about it, but we have their high hand. Uh, watchmakers working on the entry price as well. Yeah. Um, and then, so, uh, you know, you can start with this piece and a few years later you can go to the Geosphere, which is an amazing product with complication that nobody has in the world. It's the medium range and step-by-step step, you can have an access to the higher range, uh, 100% handmade here uh, in, um, in, uh, in Villeray. So I think that you can be not as not a customer, the real fan of the brand, starting at 15, 20, 25 with the first watch, 35, 40, 45 with another one, and then later with the high hand, for example. Or if you are lucky enough, you can directly start with the high hand. Yeah, you, you can spend <laughs> hundreds of thousands so, on a Mont Blanc, yeah. and it's, it's, it competes with the, the other wild independent watches in the industry. And you can get you know a several thousand dollar mainstream luxury watch, which it competes very well with with its other um, you know types of of uh, brands in the category. It's um, it's it's amazing, and the and the brand in general. It's I, you know a lot of people who have more of a, of a historic look on Mont Blanc think of a pen company, and of course historically that's how it started. But it's so interesting that it made this transition to primarily a pen company that does some other stuff to primarily a watch company that does some other stuff, and and that was a an interesting branding effort. And of course, there's all these different facilities. There's there's in Hamburg, and then there's in Le Lock, and then there's, of course, the, the Villaray location. Um, the dynamism mm -hmm. within the company, like I, you know, it's it's a it's a German company, but it's also a Swiss company with sort of under a French conglomerate. Like it's um 
it's an interesting entity. Like, give give a little bit of commentary. Help help people sort of unravel this package, which is not Blanc. Yeah, you're absolutely you're absolutely right, and that's that's uh, that's the point. And uh, we are completely separated because here we are in local and in Vilray, we have two manufacturers. Huh? Indeed, as you have mentioned, and um, people who uh, do visit um, the manufacturers in the local and in Vilray. Once they enter the manufacture, they feel something very different and um, the atmosphere and everything. At the same time, it's a mix of culture because you're right. We have Hamburg, uh, we have the French um, management, um, and uh, but at the end, we have the roots in, uh, in, in as you know, in South Africa huh? yeah, <laughs> as well. Yeah. <laughs> yes, um, but uh, it's 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 a mix of. But to me, what I like is you know. When you climb to the highest point in Europe, which is the uh, the Mont Blanc, at the summit of the Mont Blanc, at the highest point, you find all nationalities. So the name Mont Blanc is interesting because it's uh, it's a name for the world. It's not uh, we are very we are local company based in Switzerland, exporting instruments based uh, in Hamburg. But if you observe the concept, if you pattern to concept itself, the mountain. So who will reach the, who will climb the highest mountain in Europe? I think all nationalities in the world did it. And that's what I like. It's a name to conquer them all. <laughs> that's how I see Mont Blanc. Because Mont Blanc is, even if it's very, um, it's Swiss, because the way we are in Villeray and Le Loc, it's, it's, the, it's Switzerland as it was like 200 years ago. Now, if I turn on the left, I see a church that is very old wine. I see the, the house uh, where the founder was living uh, like 150 years ago. The same house is still here. Uh, you know, you have the feeling that um, time stopped. Right. But at the same time, we are developing extraordinary timepieces with uh, a huge innovation. As uh, Once again, I would like to mention the... the um, Geosphere Gobi Desert, for example, we have just launched a few few weeks ago with this incredible innovation with the laser on, on, on the case pack that does not exist in Switzerland, uh, used for the Villeret tempices as well. So it means that it's a mix of we have a local culture, 100%, and we need it because this is what we share uh, each time we sell our timepieces. But at the same time, we have a global view. So it's a mix of local and global. Have you visited the gift store for watch lovers? It's called the Blogged Watch Store, and we carry art, apparel, and accessories for today's timepiece enthusiasts. Buy your wristwatches elsewhere and celebrate the watch collecting hobby with high quality original products at the Blogged Watch Store. Right now, the Blogged Watch Store features a line of t-shirts inspired by iconic timepieces and designed by the collecting experts at the Blogged Watch. Made from 100% premium cotton, our soft fitted t-shirts are stylish, fun, and models like our iconic diver dial even have a glow in the dark face. The Blog to Watch store carries bespoke yet affordable products, which the Blog to Watch editorial team wanted for themselves as the first customers. Visit the website to see what is available right now and we ship internationally with new products coming all the time. Check it out by logging on to store.ablogtowatch.com. That's store.ablogtowatch.com. That's a that's an inc- you know incredible challenge when it comes to product creation. And, and one of the things I want to talk about a little about in a moment is your own is your own taste as a, as a watch person. But Mont Blanc has had a lot of I'll call them creative directors. Um, you of course had uh, Jerome Lambert for a long time. 
who is now yes. top person at at Richemont. So it was a it was a sort of position for for him to to jump to something completely different. And he came there from Jaguar and brought a lot of the ideas from Jaguar. And so there was his taste. And then we had uh, mm-hmm. Davide Serrato who brought in. Uh, a lot of his taste, and he's a sort of a vintage car lover, and he saw a, a shift in yep. the direction of the aesthetic, uh, and in a very different direction than than from Lambert. And now you have your ability to put your own fingerprint on things, and you know you like Cirrus, for example. Like this is a that was a very out there watch. I thought I, I liked those things a lot. That was very very out there. And now you're and then and then at you are at Carla Bucure, which is um, somewhere in between. Has some out there stuff, a lot of conservatism. And now, and now you're here. Um, how will people start to see your imprint on the designs, and when will that start to happen? So, I think it's. Uh, I'm not a designer. It means I'm not. I'm not capable of making a design with my hands. Huh? That's a, that's a pity. It's difficult for me. Me too. And after admitting, it'd be easier. Our jobs <laughs> would be easier if we could do that, right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> but I, I I cannot do it. So, but uh, I'm very creative, very very creative. And uh, I have a lot of ideas, uh, and uh, I know exactly where I want to be with the brand in a few years' time. And um, we have mentioned Cyrus, but Cyrus, for example, I started uh, from scratch and with my uh, double cousin together, and nobody was expecting us in this industry. It was the worst time to launch a company after the financial crisis uh, in 2008, and uh, nobody was expecting anything. And uh, then we are... We had an amazing growth. Um, we uh, uh, bought a manufacturer, a very famous one in Switzerland, producing movements for big groups, for independent brands. And uh, the small salaries became so much, much bigger. And this is what I did, what I've developed with my double cousin together. And then so I left the Bouchera group, which is more, um, I would say, uh, it's a German a company and Swiss German company with a great structure. It's everything is well organized. Uh, it's uh, worldwide. So to what you see, it's very interesting. Cyrus was completely entrepreneurship, hundred percent. I had to clean my office on my own. Um, I had to work on the design, on the creativity, on, on the on the logistics. I had to go to the post uh, to send my, my, <laughs> right. my the, the temp PC to the end customers. Uh, when the end customer had any issue, uh, then I was in the plane visiting him and uh, yeah, to, to to be very close to him. So it's uh, to him or to her, by the way. And um, it was a great experience. Boucherer, it was big structure, so it was a very good experience and with the opportunity to visit new markets and to be more involved uh, in key markets like India, for example. It's a very complicated market, but uh, Bourer uh, gave me the possibility to develop that market. I was developing Switzerland, I was developing Russia, I was developing uh, in part of, part of Asia and so on. And now Mont Blanc, for me, it was exactly what I was expecting because it's a mix of. Mont Blanc is the gives me the possibility to put all my creativity on the table with a structure behind. Right. And uh, that's very interesting. And you will see next year um, the new collections coming with my own signature, uh, in spite, of course, but what has been developed in the past, because uh, um, I'm not the guy who says, uh, okay, let's erase everything and do it. We do something new. Absolutely not. I think the, the brand is strong, a uh, very good classical design, uh, very good ideas have been developed in the past. Like I've mentioned previously, for example, with the new laser technology for the case bags. Um, but for me, now I would like to develop something with a stronger um, storytelling, real one, okay. with the 
higher pursuit value and with very strong differentiation, still being classical. And you will see next year what will happen also with the with the with the Villeray uh, collection will be very surprised positively, hopefully, and um, and for for Montblanc as well. So we are working the continuity, uh, but of course with a very strong addi additional differentiation, but something very impressive. What's your favorite price point to design watches around? Like, you know, the 5,000, the 10,000, the $30,000, like what's a price point where you, you yourself like to create products around because you feel comfortable marketing and selling that price point? Uh, I would not mention the price point. I would mention the emotional point, if I may. It means that um, when I have an idea, I don't want to say this is only for high hand or it's only for entry price or uh, middle range. Uh, I just try to develop first the idea and with a strong emotion behind, always connected to Mont Blanc, and then I will see what I can do with this. You know what I mean? Okay. Uh, because if I just limit myself to the high hand or entry price or medium, I think. I will be like in a in a rectangular plot of 248 square meter. <laughs> I explain uh, Japan, you know, in this garden, and um, I, I have to to observe the garden from the outside, and that's why the emotional point is key for the creativity. Uh, and then I will decide where I would like to apply it with my team together. I, I always in, uh, involve my team. I develop something. I have a concept. I give you an example. Yesterday, I asked uh, seven watchmakers to join to meeting with me together. And I just told them, okay, guys, we sit together at the table here in Villeray. I have some ideas. These are my ideas. And now I'd like to listen to your ideas for the next three years. What do you want to develop and why? And it's the first time. They told me the first time someone came to, to them asking them to be involved in the next watch development. What do you mean? Who, 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 would, who would make those decisions? Before? If, if it's not them, who is making those decisions? I would take the final decision, of course. And I'm coming with ideas. So it means I'm not just asking because if you ask, oh, okay. you can go in different different directions. But I came with a new idea, a new concept, and um, I wanted them to be involved. You know, today you have to implicate, you have to share. You don't have to explain and say that's how it has to be. I mean, this world is over. Now you have to implicate, you have to share with people, you have to listen to them, and they have to feel to feel involved. You know, a watchmaker that is involved in such a new project as the one we are developing is so motivated. The passion will be inside each component is assembling. I believe in this. The world is energy, only energy. I believe the world is only one thing. It means you and me, it's the same. We are connected. I'll just give you an example. A few years ago, it was in Germany. They made a study, very interesting one. You imagine on a, in a huge room, you have a boiling water, okay? And across the boiling water, you have, you have living shrimps. Okay. On the other side of the room, you have plants. They get plant flowers, okay? And we just put uh, on the plants and flowers, we just put some, um, sorry for the English, but some cables, uh, just like uh, to, to, to see what is happening. So on an emotional point of view, the reaction uh, and so on. And um, once we started putting the living shrimps into the boiling water, the plants on the other side of the room had a reaction on the screen. Cool. Do that you believe sense. it? I believe that. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's that. very interesting. And once the, the living shrimps, when they the all died, the reaction stopped on the screen. What does it mean? It means we are all connected. 100%. And I believe that if you put a positive energy, if you, if you put passion, if you share with people, and if everybody is thinking 
the same in the same uh, is going in the same direction it's so strong that nothing will destroy us that's how i think and that's why i really want to involve the people in each decision uh, I'm I'm uh, I'm taking, and uh, yesterday I can tell you after the meeting they all told me many thanks for sharing, many thanks f uh, to give us the possibility to be involved uh, into the new developments and uh, to give our own ideas. And these people are working in the companies all together. The seven uh, watchmakers, it's perhaps something like 115, 140 years experience. 120, I think, 25, 30, yes, 130, 135 years experience altogether by Mont Blanc. So let's let's give some context here because I think what you're saying yeah. is really important to go into if you don't understand the context. And the context is essentially this: you look mm -hmm. at the catalog of Mont Blanc maybe a few years ago, and there's a lot of products in there that filled like a commercial need. And this is there's a lot of brands like this, not just Mont Blanc, filled a commercial need, but no one said. I made that product because I loved it and I thought it was a good idea. And mm -hmm. what the watch industry started figuring out in the contemporary sense is that every single watch had to have a reason for existing. Somebody needed to want this watch, this particular design, this particular color, yes. this particular stuff. Absolutely. They, they, needed, they, wanted, they needed to want it to exist because if not, it is, as long as one person loves it, maybe others will as well. But if it starts out with no one loving it and not serving any need, it's not going to sell. And so you identified that. Others in the industry maybe took a little bit more time. But now you're basically saying every watch that we make has to have a reason to exist. If it doesn't have a reason to exist, no one's going to care about it. And it's not going to sell. So why are we wasting our time? Absolutely. This is the point. Uh, a few years ago, I read a book, very interesting one. It was The Millionaire, uh, the name, from, uh, from, from, Fisher, from Fisher. And okay. there was something very interesting. If you just pay attention to this, what he explained and what we can experience in, in everyday life. If I give you two stones, the same, but I tell you the one on the left uh, is one million uh, value and the other one has no value, which one would you take? Of course, the one million one, even if they look to be the same. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, so it means yeah. uh, this is exactly so what you have to develop. How can we create this value in each timepiece we want to develop? And this is exactly the goal. And I can tell you that we do it for each collection. So it was my work. The first, the first week I was here, I was asking my team to give me all the books about Mont Blanc. All the books. I received like 15, 20, 20, almost 20 books. I'm not joking. I spend seven to eight weeks reading every evening, three or four hours after, after my, my, my working day about Mont Blanc. And I found so many interesting things. But the, the only point is that they gave me the book in English and uh, three weeks later, they told me it exists in French. But <laughs> oh, <laughs> it was you. something different. Yeah. <laughs> but at the end, uh, I, I've learned so many things. And then uh, I had, I had a, an idea in my head what I wanted to do with Mont Blanc. And I found in a book something that did happen 100 years ago with Minerva. And I will use it. And it's coming next year, for example. And uh, it has been completely forgotten. And nobody knows it was how it was 100 years ago. Something did happen. I found this information in one book only. And it was my idea before reading the book. I say, oh, that's a sign. That's a sign I have to do it. And uh, I'm lucky, very lucky, because the CEO of the Mont Blanc, Global, Nicolas Baretsky, 
is extremely supportive, uh, very, very involved in, 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 uh, in everything, very positive and told me, okay, if you believe in this, do it. And, uh, I'm doing this and, uh, you will see next year because I read all the, the, your comments, uh, of course, uh, <laughs> on your blog and, uh, you know, so you, you are very famous in Switzerland. Uh, you are, so I would say your reputation perhaps is stronger than some brands here in Switzerland. Oh, really? Yeah, thank yeah. you for sharing that. I, I, I sort of know, but you, I think you know it. it. I think you know it. And um, and uh, I would be very happy to, to to have your your opinion about what is coming uh, uh, in a few few months time. Yeah. Do Do you know? I'll tell you some stories about me and Mont Blanc because I have a few, and I just you know I want the audience to hear about it because we're talking about the brand. This is the chance to talk about them, even if you sort of know it. Um, the first time I ever got luxury uh watch pricing sticker shock was for a mont blanc watch i was mm. i think 18 or 19 years old and i was uh i this sounds really pretentious i guess i went on i was on a cruise it was with a, a friend's family in australia and i just landed in sydney from los angeles never been there before and i go into this like concept shop you know they have like concept shops it's like just cool stuff and they happen to have watches and they had a mont blanc i remember it was one of the um the Meisterstück watches. This is from like uh, 2001 yeah. Yeah. or something mm -hmm. like that. It was. A, it had mm -hmm. a 7750 in there. It was just sort of those nice Arabic numerals, you know, steel bracelet. And again, even though I was so young, I was just like, this is cool. I really want this. And I, just, I didn't think how much it cost. So I just said, I'll take it. And I got a few other things there. And then the guy goes to, to like uh, check me out at the counter and he's telling me the price and I'm trying to do the calculation. I'm tired to just got off the flight, you know, from, from U.S. dollars to Australian dollars. And at the time, it was like, I don't know, maybe, you know, $2,000, $2,500. And I just remember, like, trying to, like, thinking that I had a math error in my head. Like, no, there's no way. I couldn't buy it because I couldn't afford it because I was 18. Um, but it, it was amazing to me that it asked, it, it forced me to ask this question, why does it cost that? And it began this several year long journey of trying to answer that question. So I just happened to stumble upon this Mont Blanc, but I always have the brand in my mind as one of the, is one of the first steps of me being interested in high end watches. It forced me to ask those questions. And as you know, everyone that likes watches is very curious and I like asking questions and trying to answer them. So that's, that's one story with Mont Blanc. And then another story mm. is the first watch that I ever got, um, you know, really interested in, I think after, after law school was the, um, the Mont Blanc time Walker, the original one from like sort of 2004 ish, mm -hmm. you know, the chronograph. Mm -hmm. And what I loved about this watch so much, it was the first one that I had really seen that really well combined the sort of traditional values of a timekeeping instrument with the contemporary modern lifestyle design. And I was just infatuated by this ability of a designer to combine the worlds of old and new in a way that just seemed so satisfying to me. And I eventually got one of those watches, uh, but for years I didn't. Um, and, you know, I think that, that there's these little, little things within the brand that not enough not, hobbyists don't talk about. It. I mean, you know, this, I have to tell you, but like, I want hobbyists to talk about Mont Blanc so much more. I think they don't cause it's intimidating cause you just you make so much stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, so I'm very touched because I see you are a real fan of the brand. So it's I didn't know it. Um, oh, I am. So uh, yeah, so thank you for this. <laughs> but you yeah. know, you, your example is um, is excellent one. You mentioned you were 18, 19 years old. Exactly what I explained to you. You started the first first watch by a Montblanc, 
or it could be the enterprise or medium range, and then you go to the high end step by step. So it's exactly what we can offer by Mont Blanc. And your experience is, uh, it, it's really interesting. I didn't know about it. So thank you for sharing. Um, oh, I got a lot of Mont Blanc stories, I'll tell you sometime. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I, I saw the, a lot of uh, articles. You are you're extremely supportive huh? So on your blog, and thank you for this. Um, but you know what we'll do next time you're in Switzerland, and we're very happy to welcome you here at the manufacturer. And if you have a few collectors um, uh, on your, from your blog, and I know you have not a few, but many, but uh, if they are in Switzerland, uh, they can contact you, and we can organize the visit of the manufacturer for them exclusively okay okay we got because, we got uh, those folks the blog to watch has plenty of uh, our, our swiss contingency they'll be happy to come i i'd love to i've never met some of these people okay so really let's do it it's uh i will inform my team and you can contact me or you can contact my team and uh it's something we can organize because then uh, what you're explaining to me it's interesting it's 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 made of passion exactly what i would like to to, to develop here and it already exists by the way in, in villeran le local but then you can see with your own eyes and you can feel it and uh, because it's easy to explain during a podcast with words, but uh, I want you to see with, with your eyes what I'm explaining now. And the oh, first I thing you. I will the th first thing I will show you is the V shape in front of us with the mountains. <laughs> yes, you got to start there. Yes, <laughs> I, I you know I did that something similar. Uh, it was it was several years ago at SIHH, and every time I go there, I try to do something different. And one year I did exactly that. I asked a couple of locals in Geneva, and it was just like okay. Like, I think it was like 12 people or 15 people. You get a special entrance to SIHH and I parade you around and we meet with a bunch of brands. And it was still one of my favorite experiences because it was just, you know, it was whatever 15 people happened to be around in town and the first, you know, first come, first serve. And they got this great VIP treatment. And it's like, here's this new tourbillon. Here's this new this. Here's all this great stuff. And they just had such a great time. And I think what you're pointing out, which I, I hope that enough people in the, in the audience will eventually appreciate this is like when you go to the Villaray manufacturer, they used to be Minerva, and you see the machinery, you see them working, there's this energy, this electricity in the air that like infects you and you want one of these products. You, 10 minutes earlier, when just walking by the building, you're like, okay, it's a nice building. Once you go inside and you see it's this being made, you're like, I have to have one. I, 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 must, I must struggle and, and, and afford one of these things and then, and then earn it like a trophy, like a prize. Like it's this weird emotion that you have to be there to feel. Yeah, absolutely. It's true. It's complete this. You cannot imagine how many uh, big collectors and collecting uh, uh, big names in this industry. One, so when they visit here at the manufacturer, they always want to have some, something, so a, a key timepiece from the manufacturer. And that's very impressive. And they explain that here there is something different. They all explain this. And the difference for me is the human part which is the human is really, really, really important here. And, um, but next time, I just explained with Sandra, for example, Sandra, who is making the decoration on the right side of the movement. This decoration, the Diamantage Coquille, does not exist anymore in Switzerland. We are preserving a savoir-faire. And only this, this element is key. And there are very few people know about it. But if we can explain to the world what we are doing, what we are preserving in terms of tradition, in terms of savoir-faire, people will see that Mont Blanc is more than a manufacturer. It's uh, a museum of emotions, I would say. That's fantastic. Okay, so we have time for one more, one more question. Mm -hmm. And again, it's been so great talking to you about all this stuff and, and learning a little bit more about Mont Blanc. The future, 
not a lot of people can uh, really fathom what it's going to mean for the watch industry. As you said, it's going to require a shift from the past. A lot of that shift is already happening. But part of the future is brands being very assertive in communicating not only what their products are, but their brand is. Consumers want brands that are loud, that have personalities. What, what should be the, the, the watchmaking personality of Mont Blanc? Envision what you know, some of your, your hoped-for marketing would be like. You know, what is the personality of this brand? What do people think of when they think of Mont Blanc and they think about experiences with the watches? There will be an inspiration from 1913. I give you a clue, oh. but I don't give the answer. <laughs> there will be okay. an inspiration from 1913. And uh, will, we will have very strong differentiation and storytelling. And the differentiation will be, I would say, um, something very emotional. It's difficult because I, I cannot share now what is, what is coming next. And... Um, we, we have to meet or to, to another podcast next year. Um, but really, it's a different session and back to the roots. Because we have something in the past that can be extraordinary for the future. And we have to readapt it. And uh, at the same time, different session. My goal now is clearly that in the next, uh, it is a case for 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 different models now, but I would like to 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 develop it. It means that once you put a Mont Blanc watch on your wrist, I recognize it. So the DNA. Okay, so a little bit more. D okay, so is is what is nineteen thirty? Is that the year the brand started or something? I can. It was a, it was a clue. I cannot mention any, anything. It's, okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. I have a guess. I have a guess. I won't say it, but I have a guess. Yeah. So it's, I, I think I know, I think I know where you're going with this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, but, but more like, you know, the, the personality of the brand, like even if you, even if you took the watches away, you know, Mont Blanc right now, it's an intellectual concept to even understand the logo. You have to understand it's a, it's an aerial view down of the mountain that talks about people, you know, climbing the summit of achievement. The brand is the, is the, is the pinnacle of, of, of mm -hmm. this thing. It's, it's a very intellectual brand. And these days consumers, you know, they don't have as much time to really, pay attention they need like stronger louder messages to them you know there's been you know really important spokespeople for the brand ambassadors like Hugh Jackman and stuff like that and of course that's one way of doing it but like you know what do you want people to think of in terms of uh the visuals and the personalities are you going to be a louder person you know I'm just wondering because that's it's such a big deal you got to get people excited about the brand first and then after they're excited about the brand they start to say oh what products do I like okay so you mean in terms of brand ambassadors well, just in terms of like what the brand, you know, when people think of a Mont Blanc, what, what activities are they going to think about doing with the watch? What types of regions in the world are they going to think mm -hmm. about it being popular? Because in a sense, you have to associate mm -hmm. a lifestyle now with a brand. You can't just say we make watches for everyone because people want to think that you're making watches for them. So the brand needs to make certain decisions about what lifestyles and what types of people they're going to be focusing on at any given time because you have to be relevant to them. And so I guess the better question is, what types of customers in the next few years do you want Mont Blanc watches to be the most relevant to? I want uh, happy people. <laughs> that's the point. So it means that... That's a good, that's a good answer, yeah. yeah. So it's, um, 
the the customer i cannot give you i don't want to give uh age category or sex or this type of thing because i believe that once we focus on the emotion the age or the sex is absolutely not important you can have emotion uh specific ones uh, at 20 at uh, 50 at 80 and um it's not it's not the point what i would like to communicate perhaps it's um I would like to say the future customers or the, the, the current customers, it's we want people who are aware uh, of the uh, environment. That's a very important point. And that's why uh, 1913 uh, is a clue for this. Uh, we want people and also to pay attention to the emotional parts. That's something really important for me. And people who love details. Because if you love details and if you observe what is coming next or what we have launched this year, you will understand that uh, something is happening. And this type of people paying attention to details, paying attention to nature, paying attention to the uh, innovation part and to the tradition as well, it's um, they only can be happy people. This is what I believe, really. That's why I, my spontaneous I told you happy people. Because really, nature, the past, innovation, curiosity, it makes you happy. And it's exactly what Mont Blanc is made of. Happy watches from Mont Blanc for people in good moods that yes. want to be reminded of that. That's, I'm in a good mood. Fantastic. My team is in a good mood. So you see it's working. It's <laughs> good. It's good. Okay. Yes. Well, thank you so much. This has been an interview with Laurent Lecombe of Mont Blanc. He runs the watch division there. And thank you so much for joining us in this episode of the Superlative Podcast. Thank you. Thanks to you. Really, thank you. That's very interesting for me. Very interesting. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Superlative Podcast. Support the show by subscribing and rating it on your preferred podcast platform. For questions, comments, and ideas, please email the show at superlative at blog2watch.com. For the latest in watch news, reviews, and culture, visit ablogtowatch.com. Thank you for listening to the Believe Podcast Network. Do you believe?